individually, our relationship as congregations, and our relationships as the kingdom of God on this earth with the one that we're here to serve. And I hope and pray that we can study some things this work this week that will uh, help you in that area. And I'm going to turn the lapel mic on. It ought to be on. So, if you would turn to Acts chapter 17. That's where we'll begin our study this morning, Acts chapter 17. We live in a society today that values relativism. We live in a society today that uh, values the freedom of choice. And I would venture to say that every one of you are here this morning because you of a free will and of a free mind chose to get up, to get dressed, and to come to this place uh, with the mindset of worshiping God this morning. And I don't think anybody other than maybe the kiddos were drug out of bed and made to get dressed and made to get ready to come to church. Our society values the idea of choosing the church of your choice, of, of doing things that you want to do, and whatever you do will be good enough for God. And I want to say that that mindset is completely backwards. The Bible teaches us that our God has chosen us to be in His kingdom as it has pleased Him. That being said, that naturally implies that you and I have a service to provide for Him, and it's not just our choice of doing what we will and what we want. And in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is confronted with a region of the world that was given to idolatry. In Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16, the Bible says, Now while Paul waited... For them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him, when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Others some he seeth to, seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection." And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, we would know, therefore, that these thing, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. You see, the problem of relativism and idolatry is not a new concept to us today. Paul confronted it in the first century. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship and declare I unto you. And then he goes in to give a defense of this God that he wanted to teach to them and to describe to them as the creator and actually the one true and living God. Though people in America and in the world today may not bow the knee before wooden or concrete or gold or silver idols, what they have done is created a God that is a far cry from the God that we read of and study in the Bible. And they believe that their service to this God is just as good as any other service, and, and we value the idea that you choose and do what you will for God, and He'll be pleased with that. Paul said that I want to teach you about the unknown God that you ignorantly worship. Now, the first thing about this passage is Paul was stirred in his spirit because of that idolatry. And I want to ask you this morning, does it bother you to see the world that we live in religiously? Many people cast an apathetic eye toward those who practice other religions and we say, you know, that's your right and that's your choice and 
you know, I'm not really going to do much to try to teach you otherwise. What was Paul's response to seeing the idolatry there in Athens? The Bible said he was stirred in his spirit. It bothered him to see all these pagan idols and the things that men had created that people were bowing their knee before and giving reverence to as if they were worshiping God. Brethren, it better bother us today when people bow the knee before gods of their own making. And it needs to bother us to a point that we're willing to have the sometimes uncomfortable conversation as Paul was to describe and to proclaim to them the God of the Bible. That's the lesson this morning. We're going to look and focus on three themes about God. We're not going to cover everything about the nature of God this morning, but there's three key aspects to God that have been overseen and have been thrown away in our society today. Go to Psalm 86. You see this God that these people were ignorantly worshiping, that Paul was going to tell about and describe as the Creator and the one true and living God, David had prophesied and taught people about in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 86, beginning in verse 1, this is a prayer of David. He says, Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou, my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear to the Lord unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. When we speak about the God that we serve, we need to understand that He is an exclusive God. There is no other God. There is no other person that is worthy to receive our worship, to receive our reverence, to receive our service. And He, as David said, is God alone. And in the polytheistic society that we live in that chooses to worship their way and do things our way and have religion our way, we have to be willing to have the conversation and say, there is but one God. And if we alter His doctrine and we alter His person and we alter the things that He instructs us to do, all of a sudden, what have we done? We've created another deity that is not that God that we study about in the Bible. We as the church must hold true to the doctrines, to the things that Christ valued, to the things that Christ instructed, if we are to be identified as His church. When doctrines slip, when morality slips... And when we do not value the things that God has placed a great emphasis on, we lose our identity as His children. And that's the last thing that we want to see happen to the people of God. Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 8, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And what has happened in our society is man has exalted himself to the place above God. And that I know better what God would have me to do than simply listening and obeying and following the pattern that is set forth in the New Testament for the church. 
And I think of men as Isaiah who wrote and penned words inspired of God, who certainly had a great knowledge and a great insight toward God. And what was their instruction to the people? Return to your God. See, the children of Israel had a problem in their society, even the religious, of what? This cycle, this never-ending cycle that we seem to see ourselves on today. And that we serve God of a fervent heart, but then all of a sudden something gets in the way of that, whether that be our own will, whether that be sin, whether that be men exalting themselves to the place of God, and we slip away from our identifying ourselves as the children of God. God had a way of humbling the children of Israel, bringing them to repentance, and they would repent, and He would restore them. And we see that today in the Lord's church, don't we? Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel all pled with the children of Israel to return back to God. To not be overcome by the pagan idols of the lands that they were living in. Don't go back to the gods that their fathers had served before, but return to a truer form of religion. And brethren, we've got to do that today in the church. I want to tell you, that's one of the greatest messages that we have to the world as the church of Christ. Is that we recognize the single authority of Jesus. And the things that we do are ordained in the Scriptures. Why? Because Jesus and our Father in Heaven has ordained those things. But we don't like to accept the authority of anyone in our society today. The first thing that I want to talk to you about this morning is the idea of authority. Jesus is the authority for everyday life. Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, Paul preaches on the day of Pentecost. He makes the statement there and says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that that same Jesus, God had made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. The implication of calling Jesus Lord, as he described in Matthew chapter 7, would be that you have to do what he says. You can't give him lip service and say you're my Lord, but then do things contrary to the teachings that we find in his word. And I think a lot of times we think we can mock God and we can placate God and we can just circumvent God's Word and do the things we want to and He'll be happy with that. And we give our Lord Jesus lip service. I hope that's not said of you in your everyday life. That you come to church on Sunday dressed nice and sitting in a comfortable building listening to someone preach and you say, yes, Jesus, you're my Lord, but then tomorrow by the way you live your life, you deny Him. Jesus said there's going to come a day where a lot of people who did a lot of good things in the name of the Lord, He would sit there and sternly say, I never knew you. Could you imagine anything more terrifying than that? That you had spent your life doing these things and doing them in the name of the Lord, thinking you were pleasing Him, thinking you were doing good, but the whole time they were in vain. And the Lord Jesus rejects you on the day of judgment. You see, Jesus is the authority not because He just wants to make arbitrary rules, but because He desires and commands sincere service to Him. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, as Jesus ascends into heaven, He makes it a statement to His apostles. It says, Jesus came and spake unto them, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. 
If all power in heaven and earth are in the hands of Jesus, certainly our lives ought to be led by Him. You know, in my house, my boys understand the very first rule is dad is in charge. I make the rules. And anytime they step out of line, the, all I have to say is, boys, rule number one, dad makes the rules. And I, then I say, why does dad make the rules? Because God told him to. Because I want them to understand there is a greater authority in my home than me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we have to understand is in every aspect of our life, Jesus wants to reign. Jesus desires to rule. And you have to give your life totally and wholly over to Him. And when we do that, don't you think He'll provide? Or do you think you can provide better for yourself than the Lord God? See, He wants to be the authority in everything that you do. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, the Bible says, "...which in His times He shall show who is the blessed and only potentate." The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We even sing a lot of songs that talk about Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to tell you, if you're going to sing those words to those songs, you better be willing to live by it. How long does it take to watch somebody in their life to know if they're truly led by Christ or not? I want to tell you, it doesn't really take long. I'm privileged in the work that I'm able to do with the church and in other opportunities that I've had to really be involved with people on an individual basis. And you go into somebody's home and they're having problems with their children or they're having problems in their relationship or there's some interpersonal problem that they're having and they say, what can we do? And the first thing I do is I go and I sit and we visit and I just observe. I'm trying to learn everything I can and it's pretty evident whether that household is led by Christ or not. Pretty quick. Just think about the things that you talk about on a daily basis. How often does the Lord Jesus come up in conversations that you have? And I tell the guys back home because after church on Sunday afternoons, what do we talk about? It's not the cowboys anymore. <laughs> Used to be. But we can talk and talk about high school football. We can talk and talk and talk about politics. We can talk and talk about Facebook and I'm trying to think of the other one that's popped Twitter and Pinterest. And did you see this and did you see that? And I want to tell you, brethren, we're wasting our time. If somewhere in there we're not discussing the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to take an inventory of your day and of your life and honestly ask yourself, how many times do you talk to people about Christ? It's great and wonderful that you've found the truth, but if you don't use that gift and that opportunity to influence someone else and show them something, what are you doing with it? You're taking what the Lord has given to you and you're hiding it under a bushel. Jesus said we're not to do that as the light. And as the light of the world, we're to shine that to other people. And if you'll do that with your life, what you're doing is you're declaring to this world that Jesus is the authority in my life. Plain and simple. The second area where Jesus reigns and is the final authority is in the church. Matthew 16 and verse 18, He says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
This morning, I want you to understand the elders of this congregation are given the task, given the responsibility to shepherd the flock that is here in Amarillo. But they are not in charge of the church. They are given the responsibility to shepherd and make decisions that affect the church and provide an atmosphere for growth, a place for refuge, a place of healing. But Jesus Christ is the authority. Their authority is directly drawn because of who? Because of Jesus. And when Jesus told Peter that he would build his church, that means everything within it would be organized in a way that pleased who? Pleased him. But we live in a day, just as Paul did in the first century, where men value something new and something different. That's scary to me. Just look at the values of our nation. Things that 50 years ago were celebrated as virtues are now mocked and ridiculed. (coughs) Have we seen that in the church? Maybe not specifically here, but in the realm of religion in America, have we seen those things? We see churches now having a traditional service and a contemporary service. And you just choose which one you want to go to. Because we're more concerned with pleasing men than we are holding truth to the, holding true to the pattern of the church that God created and set upon this earth. I want to tell you, if we're not concerned with it, who's going to be? If we're not willing to stand and take a stance on doctrinal issues... Who's going to? I want to tell you, it starts with you as an individual being willing to stand upon those things. I'm not saying be belligerent and hateful about it. At some point, we've got to take a stand on something or we're not standing for anything. And I think to follow the pattern of Christ in His church, we have to be willing to sacrifice maybe relationships. We have to be willing to sacrifice maybe our own comfort to withhold and uphold the teachings of His church. And the founding principle of, I know this congregation, is that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Then church, you have to serve like it. And you have to live like it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 14, Paul writing to Timothy says, These things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest what? Know how to behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Paul said, I'm writing to you, Timothy, to instruct you. These are the things you need to do. You see, up until this point, he has covered a lot of things with Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. About what? About the church and about Timothy's work in the church. And he says, this is the whole reason I'm writing to you, so you know how to behave and what to do. God doesn't need us to create and make any new law. He wasn't asking Timothy, Timothy, invent and come up with some new program or some new way to solve these problems. He said, do what I tell you to do, and it'll be okay. No, my boy's life is real easy when they submit to my authority and do what I tell them to do. You know when things get difficult for them? (laughs) When they don't obey what dad tells them to do. 
why would we view our relationship with God any differently than we view our relationship with our children? We say we're His children, therefore He's the authority, therefore in the church it's His way, and we're to submit to it. But pride and ego and arrogance get in the way because we're going to reinvent the wheel. And somebody asked me about church work and I said, you get out and talk to people. What's the secret to evangelism? You get out and you talk to people. The more people you talk to, the more opportunities you're going to have, the more opportunities you have, the more studies you're going to do, the more studies you do, the more people you're going to baptize. The more people you baptize, the more people are going to stay. And they said, well, there's got to be an easier way. I want to tell you, you can set up all the websites you want to, and you're going to think I'm just anti-technology. I'm not. I'm going to make a point. You can set up all the websites you want to, have all the Facebook accounts and all the updates and everything you want to say, but until you are involved in people's lives on a personal basis, you're not evangelizing. Did the church in the first century grow? Like wildfire. You know why? It wasn't because they had something new to say, as the Athenians wanted Paul to teach. It was because they had the truth. Brethren, the Word is powerful enough. We need to let the Word do the work. Now, do we need to use those avenues of technology to get the Word out? Certainly. But if we're putting those things into place and saying, now that's our evangelistic outreach, I want to tell you, brethren, you're going to die. <coughs> Paul, and more importantly, our Lord Jesus Christ connected with people on a personal level. He went out to the people and said, what is it that you need that I can provide for you? And I know this congregation is involved in work such as that. I think we'll be going to a children's home next Saturday where we will go and be there personally to invest time and give us an opportunity to be with some young people that need help. Those are all wonderful works and you're to be commended for that. But let's be careful that we don't try to reinvent the wheel that wasn't broken in the first place. You see, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 speaks of the headship of Jesus Christ over His church. He says, He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Do we need any other form of leadership other than Jesus Christ? I say we don't. God ordained Him and put Him in His rightful place as the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and He's sitting on His right hand watching over you and I. We can trust the Good Shepherd. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. This is an event that many are familiar with. It's the account of David is bringing back the ark of God to the people. And David made some key mistakes, didn't he? And David himself suffered greatly at that, but another man named Uzzah suffered by giving his life. And a lot of people say, well, you know, God will be pleased by whatever service we can give to Him. And I was doing a Bible study about a year ago with a young lady, and I said, you know, we have to be honest and say there's a difference between worship when we assemble to worship God and, and say other activities that may be wholesome and godly. 
And I said, you know, the church can get together and we can play basketball, but we have to understand that's not worshiping God. And she said, well, God gave us the muscles to play basketball. And I said, well, we've got to have an honest... You know it's different when we come to church to worship God. There are things that He's ordained and things He's told us to do and not to do that on the basketball court wouldn't apply. And she said, well, I just think we worship with our life. And I said, I understand and I I agree with you. We worship with our life by the way we live and the way we interact with people. But you have to understand when we come to church, there are different rules. And she finally got there. But that's the attitude that we live in. It just doesn't matter. Look at this example in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and see if it mattered how God's people served Him. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, And they carried the ark of God and a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with their might, and with singing, and with harps, and with psalteries, and with timbrels, and with cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came into the threshing floor of Kite, and Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. Now, I understand that God doesn't strike us dead today the minute we do something that is contrary to His will. And that God has changed in that way because we have the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ that they didn't have at this time. I want to tell you, God at His very core is the same. He doesn't tolerate disobedience. He doesn't tolerate changing His doctrine and His teachings. The minute David decided to put that ark on a cart, he had decided to do something contrary to the will of God. And this man named Uzzah paid the price because Uzzah did something he was commanded not to do in reaching up and touching that ark. In chapter 15 and verse 2, David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Well, it's good that you realize that now, David. A little late for Uzzah, wasn't it? For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto Him forever. David said, God has set it up this way and for whatever reason He's decided, then we need to be happy with that. And people say, well, I just feel better if I worship God this way. We've got a lady in our congregation who has a background in a denomination that had instrumental music. And she said, I just, I love that music. I said, I understand. I said, if you come over to our house on Sunday morning, you'll hear bluegrass, you'll hear southern gospel, you'll hear instrumental stuff. Elizabeth loves it. I tolerate it. Our boys enjoy it. I tolerate it. You'll hear that. But when we come to worship God, we're going to do things His way. And she said, but I just, I get so moved and I feel so emotive. And I said, I understand that. I said, but wouldn't you be happy and full of joy if you knew you worshiped the God of heaven the exact way he told you to? Wouldn't that bring some joy to your heart? And she said, well, yeah, I guess so. And we studied that topic and she began to attend services with us and she was baptized and she said, I still just love the instruments. I just love them. But you know, through the course of time, guess what happened? Her will began to line up with the will of God. 
And I want to tell you, that's something that's amazing to see that change in somebody. And I know that's something very little, may seem little, but, you know, where God has given authority and where God has set forth a law, I don't want to say any of those things are minute or unimportant. And the way that we worship God matters because we want Him to receive the worship that we offer, don't we? And when He said, worship this way and do these things in the church, when we do those things, we know that He's pleased. And I want to tell you, that ought to be the best feeling you can have. Not some emotional pool of instruments. But it's the knowledge that I've served God the way He wanted to be served. And David understood that he had stepped outside of the authority of God. And Uzzah had paid for it with his life. And the reason for that, he says, is for because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought Him not after the due order. There is a due order to the Lord's church. And anything that He says to do, brethren, we've got to do. And when He sets forth in His Word, this is what I command you to do and this is how I want you to do it, quit trying to think of another way to do it. Just please Him. You see, those people that Paul ran into at Athens, what were they concerned with? Teach us something new. And for a while that would last, wouldn't it? That would be good enough. But eventually, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be some new philosophy that comes through. The latest and greatest. Do we see that today in religion? I want to tell you, we see it around us in East Texas. Because right now, the fastest growing religion in East Texas is the Cowboy Church. Up until five years ago, I'd never heard of the Cowboy Church. We have people that wear boots and wear jeans to church with us all the time. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But whenever my identity as a Christian and a child of God is based upon something that I socially align with, I'm aligning with the wrong person or the wrong thing. And we have to make sure that the Lord is the one that's determining our place in His church. Not us trying to find some new way or new idea to fix the problems in the Lord's church. Proverbs 14 and 12 says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Finally, the Lord is the authority in salvation. John 14 and verse 6. And we're going to talk about this verse through this week. Because Jesus teaches an exclusive gospel. He teaches an exclusive message of salvation. And it's not a salvation that makes you necessarily have a feeling, but it's a salvation that brings knowledge of God into your heart through your obedience. And in John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's an exclusive statement, isn't it? By Jesus making that statement, He implies what? 
There's no other avenue to God but through Him. Those that reject Jesus as the Messiah, just as there were in the first century, there's still some today who reject Him. Guess what? They have no access to God until that changes. There are some who believe they access God through some other avenue or some other method or some other person. Jesus said, except through Him, you can't have access. That's exclusive. Are you scared to tell that to people? Are you scared to have a conversation with someone of a different faith and say, you know, I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible to be the inspired Word of God, and I believe in the words of Jesus. And when Jesus says He's the way, the truth, and the life, that eliminates all other paths to God, and there is no other way. Let me tell you about Him. You see, we focus on the negative aspects to this pluralism of religion that we see in America. And I want to tell you, it provides us a great opportunity. We might wish it to be some other way, but guess what? The cat's out of the bag. It is what it is. How are we going to adjust and deal with it? That's the problem. And it starts with each one of us being willing to have that conversation. And say, Jesus is the only way to be saved. And if we get to that point in the conversation and we acknowledge that Jesus is the only way, He's the truth, He is the life, there's no other way, then we take the next step and say, well, what did Jesus say about salvation? See, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles taught that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This morning, you understand and I understand that the only way for your soul to be eternally safe is that it be within the hands of Jesus Christ. And without that, there is no security, there is no hope. The only hope you have is an eternity separated from God. And I want to tell you, that's a scary thing. Our society jokes about God. Our society jokes about eternal damnation. Brethren, we can't joke about those things. And a soul that's on the road to being separated from God is a soul that we must reach out and try to save by the power of the Gospel. Romans 1 and verse 16, the Bible says, For I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You see, Jesus' authority and salvation lies within what is called the Gospel. His death, His burial, and His resurrection from the dead that opened the eternal life to mankind. The very thing that the prophets foretold, the very thing that the prophets desired to see in their day, the very thing that angels even today look into to desire to see has been given to us and what have we done with it? And when I say we, I know we speak as the church collectively, but it really doesn't matter until it hits me on a personal level. And I want to ask you this morning, what have you done with the gospel of grace that's been given to you? Have you shared that with others? Have you sought opportunities to teach those who may be of a different faith? Who may be serving one of those pagan gods that Paul was confronted with in Athens? If not, what are you waiting for? 
We teach our children, don't we? And why do we teach our children the things that we value in the church? Because they're the next generation, aren't they? They're the ones in 20, 30 years, they're the ones that are going to have to be here to lead the Lord's church. And we want them to make sound judgments based upon His Word. And primarily we do it because we care about their souls, don't we? What about your friends and neighbors? Do they have souls that you care about? Or are you more concerned with your time? I know people work hard. Oh, you put in long hours and you work to provide for your family, but then at the end of your work day, what do you do? Where do you spend your time? And here's my question can you do a little more for the Lord? You know, that question's a loaded question, isn't it? Because <laughs> it doesn't matter how much you're doing for the Lord, you just kind of feel bad and say, yeah, I could do a little bit more. I could squeeze in another hour of study a week. I could squeeze in another maybe two or three hours to go visit brethren. I could squeeze in that opportunity at work to try to set up a Bible study. I want you to understand, the work that you do for your career and your job, guess what? When you die, it doesn't matter. But the work and the labor that you provide for the Lord's church will live on. And number one, God will reward you for that. Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul wrote to them and we think that the problems that we face in the church today are problems that are new, problems that no other church has ever faced. But understand the first century church faced the same issues we face today. And Paul told him in Galatians chapter 1, he said, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. And we think the perversion of the gospel of Christ is a modern day problem. They had the problem in the first century. And what did Paul say about it? Don't believe it. You hold fast to the true words that have been spoken to us. And the reason that you do that is because Jesus is the final authority in all things. Because on the day of judgment... We will appear not before my judgment seat or your judgment seat or the preacher's judgment seat or anyone else's judgment seat. We'll appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And guess what you're going to do? You will receive the things done in your body according to that you have done, whether good or bad. A sobering thought. I want you to think about the things that you value in life. And I want you to think about the things that you value in the church today. Are they the same things that you valued 10 years ago? Are they going to be the same things that you value in 10 years from now? And we have conversation after conversation after conversation talking about the problems of the church. And how are we going to fix these problems? The same way they did in the first century. They had a mindset to work. 
They had a mindset that they weren't the center of the universe. That's tough today, isn't it? I read an article by a doctor, and essentially a psychologist, that talked about our society and what we're bringing up as children. And all it is is narcissistic, self-involved, shallow, vain children. I don't think that's true of all of us. I hope and pray it's not true. But you look around at society and that's really true, isn't it? Children run our lives. We make them the center of everything we do and we want to do all those things because we want our children. Guess what the Lord wants you to do? The Lord wants you to be the parents and be the authority and raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what we need to be concerned with. And the reason that we do that is because one day we're going to give account of the way that we've raised our children. And I know my children got a long ways to go. Six and five and ten months. We've got a lot of years ahead of us, I hope and pray. But if at the end of my parenting I haven't instilled in them the truth of the Word of God, now that doesn't mean they're always going to do exactly what mom and dad want them to do. Or even what the Lord wants them to do. But if I haven't instilled that in them, I have failed. And I'll give account of that. The Lord has to be the central figure in every aspect of your life because He is the final authority. And you want to know how to solve those issues and solve those problems? Jeremiah told us in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. He says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls but they said we will not walk therein see a problem of people creating their own way and their own avenue to God is not a new problem is it Jeremiah combated it under the old law the apostles combated it in the first century you and I combat it today in the year 2013 But ask for the old paths. Isn't that directly opposite of what the world says today? Find some new answer. Find some new idea. Find some new program. Brethren, if we'll just return to the old paths and do things the Lord's way, number one, we'll please Him, and number two, He'll bless our work. And I think you've done that here. But we better be warned not to slip off into that idea of pluralism. And that the doctrine of God, the doctrines in the Lord's church just don't matter. Because they do. And anything that Jesus was willing to teach about and anything that the first century church stood upon are issues that we have to maintain today. And if we don't, we're worshiping a pagan idol of our own making. And we're not worshiping the God of the Bible. I said it before that it would be a scary thought to stand before God on the day of judgment and for Him to look at my life and to say, I see all the things that you've done and all the good that you've done, and, but you've done it for your own sake. You hadn't done it for me. It'd feel like a waste, wouldn't it? And then to hear Him say, depart from me, I never knew you. The things we do, we do because we want to serve God. That's why I wanted to start the meeting out this morning talking about the idea of authority. 
Because if we don't have a well-established authority, it doesn't matter what else we teach and what else we do. If we're not doing it for the reason of serving God, we're doing it in vain. And there's a lot of other reasons you can do a lot of good work. But it's got to be because you want to serve the one true and living God. And I hope and pray that we'll do that through this week and that you continue to do that throughout your work here in Amarillo. If you're here this morning and you're outside the body of Christ, we urge you to change your estate. We urge you to make a decision this morning to dedicate your life to Him, to be willing to obey and follow the things that He has commanded in His Word so that number one, your soul can be saved for eternity and number two, that He can bless your life here today. The life of a Christian is a good life. It's got struggles, it's got ups, it's got downs, but there is a consistency with the Lord Jesus Christ that brings about peace, that brings about calm in a storm. And those things can be yours this morning. If you're here and you've never obeyed the gospel, being baptized into the body of Christ, we want to offer you that opportunity to make your calling and your election sure to be buried with your Lord in baptism and arise to walk in a newness of life. And if you've done that, brothers or sisters, but you've fallen away, you've slipped back into worldly thinking, and the Lord truly isn't the Lord of every aspect of your life, you need to come back to Him. And I'll remind you, just as Jeremiah reminded the people, seek the old paths. Seek to do things His way. Because He'll bless you. He's pleading with you to come home. He's pleading with you to return to His fold. And all you have to do is come and have a seat on the front pew and we'll assist you in either way while we stand and sing.